Welcome to the Impact Podcast by Youthopia. Join me in meeting the youth of Singapore who are making a positive impact to the world around them. Hi, welcome back to the Impact Podcast. Today, we're excited to welcome Fidawus Sani, who started Orang Lawut Singapore. So Orang Lawut translates from Malay to Sea People in English, which refers to Indigenous people of Singapore. As someone who believes that traditions that are unpracticed and unrecorded will be lost in time, Fidawus uses food to retell stories from Orang Lawut families who live on Pulau Samakau, an island located to the south of the main island of Singapore, more commonly known today as a landfill. So we're going to have a conversation about preserving heritage through food. So hi Fidawas, welcome to the show. Hello. Tell me a bit about yourself. Hi, hi Nicole. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> so my name is Fidawas Sani. I am a fourth generation descendant of an Orang Laut. That's who I identify as. Um, my family members used to live in Pulau Makau till the year 1977 and I thought, you know, they sh- always shared with me a lot of interesting things and the kind of things that should be in Singapore's history should be part of it. And so that's why I started Orang Lao Eshi. Um, that's, of course, a little catalyst along the way of why I should start it. I had this idea for the longest, longest time. And finally, when COVID hits, right, 2020, Um, I think a lot of us just reflect, internally reflect on what's important to us and we want to be able to do the things that matter. So that's how Orang Lao Ashi was born. Basically, um, retell my family stories. Um, Why Orang Lao Ashi is because, you know, we are the people of the sea, right? We are Orang Lao and um, our history, our traditions are no longer accessible to us Mm. because right now it is a a landfill. so I use food as a vehicle to make sure that we are able to tell the stories to the mass audience in Singapore. Mm. And um, at the same time, I feel that you know using food is a really good um, vehicle to actually reach out to Singaporeans because we are all foodies in a way. And when there's food, there's conversations. Mm. You can talk about it. If you love it, you talk about it even more. So I think that was like really my um, one gateway of how to introduce Orang Laut food. La. But of course, along the way, I need to be able to define what orang laut food is, right? Because it is almost unheard of. Yeah. Um, there goes the problem. Um, I think identifying the culture, the tradition of orang laut, the cuisine, what is it? And at this stage, I feel like we are at its birth. Um, just because it's not exactly recorded and mm-hmm. it's not exactly defined. Mm. So for me, it's more of like defining what orang laut food is. And through my interpretation of what orang laut cuisine is, it is you know, the kind of food that was accessible to them at a point of their life when um, the sea was the main source of sustenance and and also local plantations as well. Um, so they don't eat a lot of meat at a point of time, right? Um, because they, have not, like, they don't have a lot of access to them. And so um, with every dish that we have, um, there's a story behind it. Um, for example, the sipot sedot, which is uh, the chut chut as you know it, lah. Um, a scientific name I do not know I'm so sorry so <laughs> <laughs> um, so this seafood sadot right if you go to the market today you're able to find it at the white market and then you can cook it um, however way you like it but on the island itself um, when we have the seafood sadot um, you have to forage for it you have to go to the mangrove um, it will take a day's work of just foraging for this seafood sadot right and of course when it comes from nature itself um, you're gonna get a little bit muddy you know, um, because it's not farm. And of course, um, it's fresher and it's more delicious. Lah. Um, to clean it, it's also a different technique altogether. Usually, we would take it, um, we would collect all the, all the seaports and put it in one pail. 
and in the pail we will put grated coconut or you know shaved coconut and for one night we will feed them coconut la, coconut shavings and it will clean itself you know it will it will eat and then it will differentiate and within 24 hours or so we will see it to be more cleaner mm. and um, from then on we will clean it a little bit more and we will cook it right and the seaport becomes more lemak as well because of the coconut and that's how you know the food becomes more delicious la. Mm. these little little techniques are the nuances of it are not exactly recorded the, the ways of how um, you know food become their life mm. um, these kind of things that are important they are not exactly recorded which to me is very fascinating mm. um, because this is the kind of things I grew up with uh, people tell me my mom would, and my aunt would tell me that you know last time live on the island right you have to you know do this you have to do that and I was like oh is it you know when I was growing up it's just passing stories lah. Mm. but now I feel like it's so important for me to preserve these stories mm. yeah Mm, interesting. So, I, 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 yeah, I think it's super interesting. Tell me a bit more about um, Pula Samakau because I think, yeah, like, embarrassingly, I, I never knew that it was a, a place for people to live on um, prior to it being a landfill. And I think, like, for a lot of us, like, those of us tuning in or so, the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, you know, you have those, like, NEA tours and then you go to visit a landfill, that kind of thing. So, I, I cannot imagine what it's like um, to be somebody who lived on that island before. So I guess the question is, why is it important to preserve that part of like history also? Right. So for me, it is somewhat like a personal thing for me, right? Mm. Um, so when I used to work at an NGO uh, that champions environmental issues, um, we talk about Pulau Smakau a lot because it is a landfill. Mm. You know, at the same time, it's projected by 2030, the landfill is going to be filled up. And, you know, when I when I talk about the landfill, right, I get really excited. Like, Pulau Smakau, so, ooh, you know, like, ooh, little excitement. <laughs> <laughs> but it dies there because I wanted to be able to share more about Pulau Smakau. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because the narrative of Pulau Smakau being a landfill is pretty uh, concrete, really, in Singaporean's mind. And I don't blame you for not knowing about what Pulau Smakau <laughs> is, you know. <laughs> because the thing is, um, the narrative is not being shared openly mm. or rather um, people do not have much interest to it. And for me, it is a personal vendetta, you know, to be able to share what Pulau Smakau is, um, the reclaim the narrative because I had a connection with Pulau Smakau. Mm. Yeah. Maybe just a little bit more about Pulau Smakau and mm. what it was. Um, the name Smakau comes from the word Bakau, which is mangroves, right? Um the mangrove, while it is important uh, to the ecosystem, it was important to the locals as well. The mangroves, as uh, the stories I've heard from my aunt, my uncles, they would tell me that they would go to the sungai, that's what they refer to the mangroves, isla, sungai means river. And the mangrove would um, basically offer them different types of offerings, like mud crabs, for example. Mm. The different ways to catch mud crabs and you know to catch a mollusk and some species of fish as well you know so it's a space whereby you would want to go to if let's say you're looking for a specific uh and, um, marine creature for example and and um, at the same time because of the where it's situated right it is somewhat um, really close to the open sea. Mm. Um, that's where a lot of the fishes would actually harbor around as well. So that that became like a spot where they fish sometimes as well. Yeah. So 
the, the fact that it's only a landfill, right, um, it has to change that narrative. Mm. We need to be able to somehow retell, um, re- re-educate people about what Pulau Semakau was, you mm. know, the people who actually regarded it as the space as ho- their home. I think it's, it's important. Mm. Interesting. So, it's interesting to note that um, Pulau Semakau was around until the 70s, right? Which means that you personally never was never able to live on Pulau Samakau yourself, right? So I think the question is then, how did you personally develop like a bond to Pulau Samakau? And when did you decide that like, you know, hey, this is really important. I want the, I want the stories that my uh, ancestors and the generations that came before me to be of public knowledge to everyone else that comes after me, right? Right. So for the record, I'm still a youth. I'm not born in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the year 1988. Um, my family actually left the island in the year 1977. So from 1977, there was a gap, right, um, till like the mid-90s before they actually, you know, fully reclaimed the island um, and turned it into a landfill. Mm. And during that gap, um, my family used to visit the island often. Um, my grandparents, they hated the city life. They said city air is not for them. And them being like, you know, in, in their late 60s, um, being told to live in the city doesn't bode well with them. La. They wanted to be able to still do the things that they did, you know, since they were born. Um, so they went out to see, they stayed on Pulau Semakau, in their sampans, on the jetty of Pulau Semakau, and sometimes in the makeshift um, nurse's cabin as well, which is um, built on Pulau Semakau as well. So this is the kind of things that they they did, and because of that, I had access to Pulau Semakau. They would occasionally bring me to the island, you know. So that's where they introduced me on the ways of how to fish, for example. So I've learned like you know many things from them. Um, during low tides, what kind of fish you could actually catch? Mm. During um, you know deep sea fishing, what kind of bait you can use, and what kind of hook and sinker you should use. And they taught me different ways, lah, you know, about respecting the sea, for example. So the many nuances that um, the, of their lifestyle, right, which I've learned through watching, um, through conversation just with my grandparents, lah. So uh, the bond I had with Los Marca was a special one because I was able to step foot on it. Um, I was able to be introduced to um, the many um, sea creatures that were surrounding that space as well. And at the same time, I was introduced to abandoned cats and dogs. <laughs> so, um, I remember very vividly, my grandparents, they became this saviour of animals, uh, this little century they created. Because when in the 1970s, right, when they were still living there, you know, they were at Kung Fu, like, no, I'm not going to go back. So, I'm going to still live there. Um, what happened was that, you know, if either islanders from Pulau uh, Seking, Pulau Sekejang, they still see them um, there on Pulau Semakau. They notice that, oh, you guys are still there. Can I... Um, can you take care of my pets? Mm. So they will, they will, they will place their cats. They will place their dogs as well, um, on the island la. So when I go to the island, right, there's these two dogs. One named Jimmy and Bobby. Mm. I don't know why they got English names. <laughs> <laughs> so this Jimmy and Bobby, they are like the cutest dogs, right? And they would swim with me, to, uh, you know, by the sampan. They want to follow us to mainland, mm. but we we cannot bring them to Singapore la, because they're big dogs, right? And also, mm. you know, Muslim perception that we cannot keep dogs. Um, but on the island, they were really. Incredible dogs, smart, and they, their guidance as well. Um, that when they see like you know snakes, they would bark really loudly. That they protect us. Mm. Yeah, so the kind of bond that I had um on Plus Macau, you know, and on Plus Macau also, 
um, I was also given access to how they used to live back then because sometimes I, I stay on the island, you know, on, on the jetty of Los Marco as well. And there's also an abandoned well where uh, rainwater is collected. So I would, you know, maneuver, make my way to the well with my siblings or my cousins. And that's where we will uh, have our showers. Lah. And, you know, my grandmother would tell me stories. Yeah, that's where uh, we used to shower in the water. The well is very important to us. Mm. And, and you know, this kind of stories that like, makes it more special in that mm. sense, you know. Of course, back then it was just a, a well. Lah. I'm like, why am I showering beside a well? Mm. But now it's like, it's so important <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know, we um, um, I got to experience this island life as um, little as it is, as little as it was. And I think it is so precious to me that I keep recollecting the kind of... Um, memories that I used to have and um, the, the the kind of um, connection I had with the island. Mm, interesting. So what I'm hearing is if Pulau Samakan was not a landfill today, it could have been a sanctuary for like very cute animals. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Possibly. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a pity. But um, tell me more about the Orang Lawut. Like who are these sea people? Right. Well, a little caveat, I'm not a historian. Mm. So um, this is based on uh, the research that I know of and um, whether we do we relate um, with the title Orang Laut or not. Okay, mm. So I think the term Orang Laut is a loose one, um, at least from my uh, perspective and my family's perspective. Um, Orang Laut, if you, the direct translation is people of the sea, whether you relate to the term Orang Laut is up to individual. Mm. Um, not everyone who lives on the island relate themselves to an Orang Laut. They call themselves Orang Pulau. Um, why we relate to, to the term Orang Laut is because um, our family comes from a line of seafarers um, from the Riau Islands. Mm. So we do still have family members who you, who currently live on Pulau, Sma, um, Pulau um, Terong, for example, right, which is situated in the Riau Islands, um, which is very near Batam, basically. Yeah, so um, the seafaring ways is throughout the Nusantara, you know, and they were known as sea people. And in Singapore itself, um, if you look into historically um, documented groups, right, there will, there will be Orang Seleta, which is where the Johor Singapore Strait is. That's where they, were, they used to be located. And there are the Orang Kalang, which is where they're located, you know, um, near to the uh, Singapore River. And also at the same time... Um, the Orang Pulau, lah. so settled communities of Orang Laut, um, for example, my family members, right? And we we, we rely on the sustenance of the sea, mm. provisions of the sea for our sustenance. We rely on the provisions of the sea for sustenance. Mm. A lot of like the population in Singapore, all our like descendants and uh, ancestors, and most of them are from like different parts of the world, right? We're all like kind of like settlers here. And you don't really hear so much about the stories of like the indigenous people, at least for me, because I think I'm the majority race and I think <laughs> that you learn in history that your ancestors came from where. So I'm curious to know like, um, how does how do your ancestors feel about having to, you know, do that like relocation back then? I think I have this conversation with them a lot. And I ask them, how do you feel, you know, about living having to leave your island for Singapore? And the answer would be, of course, sad. Mm. Uh, it's sad, but what can we do? Mm. You know, Government take the land already. I think there's nothing more we can do. Lah. So we just have to adapt in Singapore, You know, learn the ropes of how to live in a city. Lah. So 
that's the kind of answers to, that were given to me. Um, but I know the, there's more to it, right? And and when I when I visit the island with them, I can see the kind of excitement that they had. Um, just being able to um, have access to fishing, for example, the kind of excitement you can see them as kids, you know. Mm. Um, this 60, 50-year-old um, aunties and uncles are just literally giggling, um, catching like different species of fish mm. and they will laugh for who gets the worst one. Mm. You know, it's kind of the kind of connection that they had with the sea and the kind of life that they had is lost, you know, right? And and I wouldn't get some of the jokes because these are the kind of things that they only um, uh, ha- experience through living on the island. And I think um, the, 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 the kind of narrative right that has been told about the orangutan community is that uh, we are just fishermen we are you know seafarers and that's that lah if you look into historical context so I think it's really I mean we, we briefly mentioned it just now right like that Singaporeans are foodies and like I think that food is really a way to connect like everybody so I guess um it's, it's kind of a dear question, but I guess, like, why is food such an important factor in, like, telling or preserving the Aung Lawut story? Um, and also, you know, in, in your in your journey in starting um in, in starting this Aung Lawut, right, was it Aung Lawut SG, was it challenging to educate, like, Singaporeans about Indigenous people? Right. So, I had this idea for the longest time, as I mentioned earlier, but I just didn't know how to present it. Mm. Um, you know, for me, it's like, archiving, you know, the, the stories that I know of. But at the same time, only archiving, right? It would just be a page where I, I archive all these stories from my family. Mm. But at the same time, I want to be able to reach out to more Singaporeans in a way. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, Chris, also, do you know, like, roughly how many, like, Orang Lawoods are left um, in Singapore? And are you, like, is your family the only one that's managing, like, Orang Lawood SG? Or do you guys, like have like a team that helps you and then eventually like is, is the plan to kind of move on to like a bigger commercial space? I think from for now it's only me mm. and also my family. It's a very small home-based business. Mm. I wouldn't even call it a business lah. Um, I think I, I, I would say that for now I, I want to you know expand more. I want to get more volunteers to assist and more like my individuals to join us. I think moving forward right Oh no, actually, um, I have a few plans. La. Firstly is to set up like an established place whereby I can storytell, you know, mm. share the stories of my family and also maybe other Southern Islanders as well, through food as well, you know, and make it into like a makeshift of um, museum of sorts. At the same time, uh, a space whereby you can try our food. Mm. Yeah, because I think... Though our food, you know, overlaps with the wider Nusantara uh, cuisine, right? Um, such as the ketam lemak, the asam pedas, etc. I think uh, the, the little differences would be the way it's prepared, mm. um, the ingredients that use, the kind of ingredients they had access to while living on the island. And um, their sole, their sole um, dependence on seafood, right? I think that's shaped what Orang Lao cuisine is. Mm. Final question for you before we run up today's episode. Why is it important to maintain such a heritage? I think why it's important is because first, we need to be able to reclaim the narrative of what um, Pulau Smaka was and also the nuances of and the traditions of Orang Laut, right? And I think also if let's say we progress and progress as a city, right? 
um, a lot of times this kind of things disappears mm. and I can really see it with my nephews and my nieces, right? Um, when I talk to them, some of them don't really understand why we still go out to see, mm. you know, the kind of things that, they, that we did and I have to really, you know, tell them, uh, re-educate them about who we are mm. and I can really see the kind of erosion to my traditions as well because these people, they grow up in a city, they are born in a city, right? So, um, I, I, I was in this really unique spot whereby I was still able to visit the island and I, I grew up in the city but they do not have the same access. So how I, me as a fourth generation descendant um, try to, how can I as a fourth generation descendant give access to them, to, to their traditions, to their roots. I think that's one balance that I need to find. Mm, mm, interesting. So I, and I, I think that like with, with, um, uh, preserving like culture and heritage is, is really a matter of like if you don't do it then like who will right then if if nobody does it then it's like lost forever so i i thank you for sharing um your story today i think it's very interesting and insightful like i never knew about pulau samakau and um i've tried your food but not super familiar with the story of orang laut so thank you for today um I think you've given us all kind of a new perspective about indigenous people in Singapore and why it's important to practice and record our culture and history. So for all of you guys who are tuning in and are interested in checking out Oran Lawood, um, Fudaos, you want to give your platform a shout out? Sure. Um, we have a few platforms. If you want to visit our website um, to order the food and try our food, it's only available on the weekends, unfortunately. <laughs> so it's oranglaut.sg. And our, if you want to, you know, read up more about our stories, you can visit our Facebook or Instagram at Orang Laut SG. Cool. Thanks a lot for those. Thank you. This show was brought to you by Youthopia. This project showcases everyday Singaporeans that have made an impact in our society. Have someone in mind? Nominate that person at youthopia.sg forward slash impact.